Coaches, are you looking for a way to level up and win more? Then you should check out GMS Plus, your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. You can learn from the game's greats, such as John Spraw, Mike Wall, Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, and Courtney Thompson. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will get you there. You can get 20% off an annual subscription by going to goldmedalsquare.com CYBO and entering the coupon code CYBO. That's goldmiddlesquare.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. All right, we're back with Motor Learning for Coaches with Harjeev, Andy, and Casey. And Today we got Harjeev taking the lead. Uh, I think it's always first, just nice to check in. I know, uh, I think what you told me, you guys are prepping for the draft. And I guess, what does the, the summer look like for uh, life in the NBA? Yeah, you know, summer is basically where, you know, where we try to get better. I think like that's the... <laughs> that's a good idea. That, that's the onus of the summer. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's great that, you know, the playoffs are going on right now, the finals now. So it's... Uh, it's nice to kind of have that as well. Um, evidently, you know, that's where that's where all teams want to be. So, you know, it's, it's cool to see all, all, all those um, players playing. And, um, you know, I think you you kind of take a step back in the summer and you start to think about teaching and learning. Uh, you start to think about what skills are better than others. And um, it's a lot of exploration from, from a perspective of someone in my position. So, um, yeah, so far, so good. At the time of this recording, I mean, this won't come out for a while, but at the time of the recording, it's uh, the series is tied 1-1. So we get, can we get your prediction on the the uh, outcome? When people listen, it'll be over, so no no pressure. Um, you know, I, I like the story for the Miami Heat. Um, yeah. I, I, I really like, yeah, I really like that story. Um, and I just really like how they play. Um, mm. So that's just a personal opinion. Um so hopefully, uh, hopefully they uh, have won the championship. But if yeah. not, it's okay. Yeah, well, we got you on record now. Yeah. I think game game three is tonight, so it'll be fun to see. Yeah. Follow yeah. Along. Um, okay, so the the topic you had was a little bit more, yeah, conversational, open ended. It yeah. sounds like as you've gotten more into the applied side, this is uh, in your head. So maybe you could just yeah. take us into what's what's uh, what you're thinking. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think. You know, in the literature, we're always taught like, you know, like, you know, let's just say years and years of literature. There's, there's one way that's worked, the other way hasn't, um, or to a lesser extent hasn't. Um, but when we get more into the applied setting, I think it's it becomes very different, um, especially you know with high level athletes. It's you know um, things that we think work in the literature, where like there's 15 to 20 people per group or whatever. You know, we're working with an N of one here. It may not work um, for, for this individual. And I think the basic idea is like even like blocking random practice. You know, how like, of course, random practice has been shown to be pretty effective, um, but does it for this individual athlete like that or does it for this group of athletes that are here today? Um, and I think that becomes a question of like, you know, can we take like, these principles of motor learning and start archetyping athletes 
like saying that this player is more likely to benefit from a high level of variability based on X, Y, and Z uh, versus just thinking that he will. I mean, remember we were working with high-level athletes who are, you know, in the NBA, they're making a lot of money. So there's a lot of, uh, the, you don't want them to get hurt. You don't want them, like, but you still want them to develop. And so it's like, you have this sort of risk-reward ratio. Um, so I've been thinking about that lately. It's like, what, you know, what can we do as like a baseline to kind of see if, you know, players will do better with this, this, and this versus, you know, that. And, and we do, to some capacity, we do this in like strength and conditioning, right? Like we take these baseline tests and think about things certain ways. Um, I know at the club level in volleyball, when I was around there, they do these baseline tests to think about if someone, you know, will be a very, will be a spiker versus not. Um, and so like, we've done this before, maybe not in the lens of like taking literature, but I think that's kind of where my head's in that. Now, obviously where I'm at, I have the, the privilege to have a lot of data sources coming in um so you know that's just uh you know we have force plate data we have you know everything that comes in from you know tracking data to gps to heart rate like can we take all this together and think about it through that lens um so at the end of the day to say that you know player x is someone that can be Probably, probably benefit from differential learning, but player Y, you need a lot of constant practice. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know where this goes, but I think like even as coaches, how do you know what type of practice to do for your player? Or do you just kind of go off of the fact that one's better than the other? What just in maybe your observations and maybe small sample size, do you have any hunches so far? Like, are there archetypes like this sort of, is it, is it personality? Like this sort of personality maybe lends itself better to some block practice And this. Is there anything that stood out? You know, I've taken, I've taken several different perspectives on this. One is simple. One is what do you, what is your role? Like, what do you have to do? Um, if you have to do more skills, then maybe random practice is better because you have to do more skills. Mm. You know, that's probably as simple as it, as it comes. But if you're a straight, you know, three and D guy, which is just, uh, you're just shooting threes. Like maybe, maybe it's more variable practice, but only for that one skill, you know? Um, so I think that that becomes like a overall team archetype, player archetype situation, but then you can go into the deeper stuff and kind of look at like force plates. You know, we do kind of movement jumps all the time. Um, what level of variability do they have on their force plates day to day? If it's consistent, maybe it's something else. If it's more variable, maybe it's something else. Um, what practice did they do right before they jumped? Um, you know, physiologically, like, you know, within what space is their heart rate at? Uh, so we can kind of get into like really the nitty gritty of all that. But I think the most simplest way is to look at like skills, right? Your libero is likely not going to be hitting, like, well, it doesn't hit. So, um, it's like, do they need to, yeah, for fun and games, sure. But like, that's one skill that's out what else do they not need to do and then you kind of kind of work backwards from there um so it's a little harder in volleyball i would assume because like everyone has to kind of do everything um but basketball you know you really think about it, sort of a uh, when you think about a roster construction situation it's you're not thinking it that way per se casey i guess listening to that and when i think of you as someone who you know follows the literature tries to stay close to it and, and creates a, a culture and a program around it I can't picture if you have someone who maybe doesn't fit into the archetype you 
like, oh yeah, well, we'll just give you a bunch of blocked reps and I'll give you a bunch of prescriptive feedback or I don't, I don't know, something that fits you more. Uh, I guess, how do you handle that if, or how do you take this as you're, you're hearing him say it? Yeah, no, um, this is something that I, I am working through probably forever, <laughs> but uh, certainly right now I, I am learning. I, I think one of the things that, that uh, parallels what Harjeev's talking about here a little bit is this kind of uh, nebulous art of coaching, right? Like there's this science and then there's this art of coaching. And it seems to me like elite coaches have a very crude elementary intuition and respect to a lot of these things that, that Harjeev is, is talking about. And, and uh, you kind of develop a sense, and I'm not there yet. Well, I mean, in, in full disclosure, I'm not there yet as a coach. But it's one of those things that um, I think like really good coaches, when I think of like, I played for Mar or Russ Rose or Jim McLaughlin. Or, these are people, you know, even intuitively, whether they recognize it or not, they probably have a good sense for, hey, uh, Susie just needs a little bit more, uh, a little less vari variability in her, for good learning to happen. Whereas Sally, uh, she's a workhorse. She'll, she can handle it and she'll be great. And um, so for me, uh, appreciating that one of the things that I'm always doing is I'm accruing these, you know, reps and coaching is honing my intuition to that stuff. Now, to that end, my hope is that the scientific community can uh, continue to better catalog and better grasp some of that stuff so that we have you know, some reliable data and information to support it. But I think um, it's a really, really interesting idea, this idea to me uh, of can we profile a learner and not a player, not a mover, but could we figure out a way to profile a learner? And uh, and and I, I have a hunch that that profile changes a bit day to day, just like their physiological profile. Like they're depending on how much they slept and how like where they're at in life and you know what their their current levels of motivation are. That's that's going to change. Um, and there will be times all those same factors will probably influence the best learning modality, the best learning environment for them that day. But it's, it's a really cool concept to consider what is it, what would it mean? What would it look like uh, to profile learning, to profile a learner? And, and these are the best interventions for this learner at any given point in time. And uh, that would be really cool. It's almost like, you know, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of motor behavior research, I think, tends to function by nature almost in a binary, like good, bad, better, worse sort of thing. And one of the things that Jamie Taylor, who's been on the, the podcast as well, he's he's encouraged me to to try to to grasp is this idea of hey, let's what if we didn't think good, bad, and we just thought of the differential effects? Like there's going to be these these initial effects that xyz happens and then there's going to be second and third order effects beyond those and just understanding that that just changing that paradigm could help us uh instead of just going locked is worse random is better you know variability is good constant is bad just understanding that the, the, all the differential effects maybe constant practice has a positive effect on on confidence i i don't know i i don't personally believe that but uh, maybe it does Understanding that does may mean that gives us access or permission to do that a little bit 
uh, more than maybe we would if it was just a binary where you know, varied practice is the best and the only thing we do. Um, so I, I'd imagine I'm I'm not in a position to say I'd imagine it's a long ways off to profile learning and profile learners um, and and the, the interventions that would best help them. Uh, but it's a really cool idea because we've we've gotten pretty good at profiling movers. I'm pretty good at profiling, you know, personalities. You know, well, I don't know if pretty good, but we've tried to get pretty good at profiling personalities. What about learners? I think that's a really cool thought exercise, and hopefully on the horizon you know, sooner rather than later. So currently, maybe there's things you have to profile a learner. Like when you're talking more about a specific person and variability within a week, maybe you know how, like, you know, have reports on how much they slept, or you know how hard the training was the day before. Or, you know, so I guess, how is that currently um, affecting your practice design? Like, how do you, how do you adjust to those sorts of things? Real, really, at a really rudimentary level, I think. Um, if, if we're talking about this grand scope of like, what if we got this thing right, then it's very basic and in, in relative to that. Um, our, our strength coach takes really good data. Our, our athletic trainer and strength coach take really good data on uh, kind of where they're at, where they perceive that they're at, you know. Um, and so we'll, we'll, fortunately, we're in a situation where our strength coach is able to be at every practice planning meeting with that data, with that information. We're really fortunate that he's able to uh, be familiar with the ways we like to train. Um, and so we can start, you know, adjusting um, activity designs uh both in like amount so like volume but also in just the uh, the interventions that we use based on some of that data i don't think we do a perfect job of it yet i'm gonna go on a limb and say that as it currently stands probably very few volleyball teams are doing a perfect job of it but um i think uh a lot of it is more physiological profiling which there's going to be a significant overlap but um I I think all the physiological stuff and psychological stuff is going to have a direct influence on learning. Uh, I still I have a hunch that there's a uh, there will be at some point the ability to catalog someone or catalog learners uh, and as as RG said maybe place them in buckets or archetypes. Yeah, so, I, I we're, we're not there yet. I know that, but uh, yeah. probably need some AI. Or something. Yeah, yeah, we use a lot of the physiological data. Yeah that we have and a lot of the per perceived data that they give us. So the RPEs and, you know, mm -hmm. surveys and stuff like that right now. And it's, it acts as a proxy. It's not great, but it's better than I think nothing. Andy, what are you taking in so far? What are your thoughts? Open, open uh, ended. Um, I'm going to caveat this by saying, because I'm in a sport that's very traditional. I also, and I'm painting with a broad brush here. Unfortunately, I've come across the fact that if you give a coach an inch, he'll take a yard. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, oh yeah, block practice is okay. Bam, block practice all the time. He said it was okay. The thing that I always come back to is we made sport up. Like nobody came into sport when volleyball was created or basketball, knowing what the fundamentals were. We came across the fundamentals through variation. Like fundamentals started from variation. Like, oh, this works. So I think that's where I always come back to. And I completely agree with RG and Casey that Block practice has a four-letter connotation, and it shouldn't. Constant practice has a four-letter connotation, and it shouldn't. And yet, if we think about the beginnings of how movement began in any particular sport, which was made up by human beings, and we change the rules constantly, 
then in my mind, like variation overall is more beneficial overall, but blocked has its place. Constant has its place. But I think just from a hypothetical perspective, particularly in a very open skill, you know, if you're throwing darts or bowling, yeah, maybe block is going to be better for you. Maybe constant is going to be better, but if you're hitting a baseball or if you are um, trying to get past a defender, variation in the environment is constantly happening. And so we need to try to replicate that as often as possible. So for me, my constraint is just that you give a coach an inch, he'll take a foot, he'll take the yard, he'll take the mile. Uh, I do think that overall our philosophy needs to be one of variation within the realm of health. That is talking with strength coaches and physical therapists and athletic trainers. What can this body take, but push it, you know, that's what the game is going to demand. Anyway, I'm going to bring some psychology in here, but if practice is super easy and the game is hard as all, I'll get out. Let's make practice mimic the game a little more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even to build off that, just not that just coaches are drawn to that, but I'd say players as well. I think they generally like the reps that feel good, that go well, that uh, build, you know, whatever fake junk food confidence. So that's where I feel like it takes, um, a coach having this, I don't know, these principles behind them and this drive to want to insert this, even sometimes I feel like it's not maybe the perfect day or the right archetype, but um, because then the default is to just do what's comfortable and what, what we're already good at. So um, I guess that's my my initial thought hearing is like, well, so what if it's not perfect for them? Like, let's let's do differential learning because uh, it's, it's, it's a way to cause more variation and they won't do it naturally. Um, but I don't know. Um, but, I don't know, Harjeev, what do you, what do you think? What's, uh, what do we take with, Har- with Harjeev on here, like the hard part is getting multi-million dollar athletes to do something mm. different that they've never done before. Right, Talk about right. I'll leave it at that. Well, and that's where the, it's a different situation. You have, you know, the players making more than the coaches. We're in the college, you know, the college, uh, you get to create this program and probably have a different uh, amount of control. Obviously with transfers, that, that changes the dynamic a little bit. But sorry, Har- Harjeev, what, what's your take? Yeah, I, I think like we're in the rudimentary stages of understanding any of this. Um, for example, why do we traditionally think of practice that starts very blocked and finishes in a scrimmage? Like, like that's like a traditional perspective on practice structure. Uh, it's it's very much in this stage of there's one thing when it comes to buying. A lot of these players just want to have fun, to be honest. They want to come in, compete, have fun in practice, and go home. And so this aspect of, like, different things is quite fun for people. Now, there's there's days where they don't want it, and, and that's true. We just have to take what it is, and maybe it's a little bit of variation, not that much. Um, and that's where the relationship comes in. I always say to our, our coach staff, like, Forget about any of this motor learning. Relationship is your number one thing. Then you start to implement anything um, in terms of practice design, all this great stuff. Um, so I think like that's that's key when it comes to to the buy-in stuff. And look, at the end of the day, it also comes down to like if it works, people start to understand, and just everyone latches on. So I think like um, that's how especially, you know, with, with athletes in the NBA where it's pretty much a player-driven league, it's, it's like that's, you know, that's how we kind of get that, that buy-in stuff. But I think, you know, uh, um, 
at the end of the day, the archetyping stuff is very good for like roster construction. It's for other things outside of actual practice. You know, when, when you think about putting together a team, for example, and skill out scouting, like what do you look for? You know, do you look for someone that's going to thrive in your system, quote unquote? And that's what everyone does. But what is your system? And so sometimes you'll kind of go out there and look for like the best athlete, like the best setter or the best hitter. Um, but like, how does he or she fit into your system? And if your system is one of, let's say, archetyping, um, how does that archetype complement the other archetypes? Um, that's another question. And then again, I'm just kind of, you know, speaking freely here, but this is something that I've been very interested in because, um, you know, we've seen things not work and we've seen things work. Uh, and so that kind of begs this question of like, we have these philosophies and it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's like one of those things where I'm constant, constantly pondering the fact that, you know, we actually don't know how to coach. Uh, we're kind of just hoping things work and everything averages out at the end. So, um, you know, I think like that's, and that's a challenge, man. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying your job is very challenging, <laughs> but um, you know, that's, that. I guess, to, to John's point, you got to try, right? You got to keep, you got to keep trying and see what works, what doesn't work. And evidently, you know, it, things will, things will come about. But um, I do, I do think the archetyping idea is something that, you know, I'm going to continue pursuing because I think it's interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, if uh, we win a championship in a couple of years, then it will be good. And everyone <laughs> will understand why. <laughs> well, I, I think Harjeev hit on a big word and buy-in, and I've heard you guys talk a lot about the importance of motivation. And it seems like if someone is all in and believes that blocked reps are going to make an impact, that's going to be more beneficial than maybe someone like battling with their coach over you know some random reps or differential learning, even if one is a superior method. So I guess first from the player end, Casey, what have you found helps with that buy-in? How do you get motivation if you know, you get a player who's been gone through a school system, gone through a club system where they've they've done it completely different and it's worked for them. So how do you get them to to change and buy in? Yeah, I think um, that's a real concern. It's a legitimate thing that I don't think um, people pay enough attention to. Uh, they we, we as coaches, we want to be so good. So we study, we, we read the research and we discuss with each other and we you know, mark up the textbooks and we come up with the way we got our way. Right. And here's the way. And, uh, we, you know, in, in our case in college, we invite athletes into our program and we go, now you're going to do it via the way. <laughs> and, uh, that oftentimes is extremely jarring for the athletes, sometimes debil oftentimes debilitatingly. So, and, um, I, I, the, the visual I have in my head is that, um, before we get into any of the pedagogical stuff, um, there's a foundation that all that pedagogical stuff exists on. And that foundation, it's like the fuel for learning, all the, regardless of the interventions, is motivation. And if we're going to put them in a situation that demotivates them uh, or an environment that demotivates them, then no matter how good your, you know, your interventions are, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. There's a reason I'm not good at ice hockey. It's because I have no interest in being good at ice hockey, uh, among dozens of other things. But to start, I'm never going to get good at ice hockey because I don't really want to get good at ice hockey. And uh, so to that end, um, the way we go about it, and it, this happens every year, 
I mean, this is not something that is, is um, an uncommon thing. This is going to happen with essentially every athlete that we come in contact with to some degree. We have to know where they're coming from. And that's true whether you're a club coach, a professional coach, a college coach, because we all acquire our, our players a little bit differently, but we can all pay a little bit as much attention as possible to where they're coming from and having a, a really deep understanding of what that environment looks like. How were they coached before? What was the expectation? How did, how did the environment that they were in, how did that frame learning implicitly or explicitly? And understanding that is really important. And the closer that we can get our environment uh, to the environment that they've been in, the easier that transition is going to be. And uh, so if it's not close, which it often is not close, we have to be, we have to take great care to be really sensitive. And then there's a couple of things that we like to do. We have these conversations uh, early and constantly. So we're constantly discussing, hey, look, there's, there's just a gap here that exists between the way we do it and the way that it, you've done it before. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But our goal is to kind of go through the, you know, shepherd you through this journey to, to getting it to the way we do it. And uh, that's going to require us to meet you where you at, where you start, and to require you to go through this process, this journey of getting us to where we want to be. And uh, and so, for example, if somebody were to stop by our gym on day one uh, with a freshman, they're probably going to hear a lot more explicit instruction. They're going to go, "Hey, you you said you believed in X, Y, and Z, and then uh, you don't like it." And I go, "Yeah, I, but it, I have to meet them where they're at." And the goal is, "Hey, can we?" introduce some of these ideas or these concepts like exploration or self-organization or perception, action, coupling, or varied practice, random practice. Can we introduce some of these things without dumping it all on at once to overstimulate or overwhelm? And then as we go, we like, we, this is a preference I have. I don't know if there's any evidence to suggest one way. I like to be really explicit about it and go, Hey, look, we're going to introduce this and uh, it's going to be different than what you've done before. It's going to be challenging. And we're going to dial it back at some moments to give you like a respite, you know, a little bit of break. But we're going to do this. And the goal being like, hey, how well do you handle this? And uh, it's not like we're trying to pull the wool over there. We like to have the conversation of here's where we seem you're at. Is that accurate? And then here's where we'd like to be, you know, as quickly as we can safely. And um, but that concern is a huge one. And one that I think all coaches at all levels need to consider, even coaches who are coaching people for the first time. If you're if they're, if they're coaching somebody who's never done it before, they're brand new to the game. There's they're coming from some preconceived notion about the way this is supposed to go, the experience they want to have. We need to understand that stuff. And um, and that that uh, is a really, really useful exercise to go through and then use that information to design a learning. I, I, I get tired of people using this word because I think it's a little bit cliche, but you're trying to design this learning journey to go from here. It's not a learning event. So journey, like we're going here's where you're at and you're going to progress as a player, but you're also going to progress as a learner. Hmm. And uh, so the learning performance dichotomy, you're going to progress in both of those things. And here's where we want to go. Be clear about that in the recruiting process. And uh, here's where you're at. And we got to fill that gap, you and me together. Well, do you guys remember what's that ESPN show where the guy used to like reward points for good comments? Um, remember that like- uh, Run the horn. I feel like I want to I want to do that when I'm with you three where I'm like oh good point five points for Andy and then at the end we get like a yeah a motor motor learning debate now but um lots lots of good points all around I guess Andy to you the kind of similar question I mean I've had new staff join in you know coming from different experiences 
Uh, you guys do all the time. You have new coaches that you're interacting with. And I remember when I, you know, I first started learning from, from you guys, more the ecological side, my first reaction was like, well, I'm already pretty good at coaching, you know, in keys and giving prescriptive feedback. Like it's not worth it to, to make this change. Um, you know, why, why would I be, want to be that uncomfortable? Um, but yeah, I guess, what have you, what have you found as you've worked with coaches to get that buy-in? A good question is better than a smart answer or a smart response. Hmm. that's the motivational interviewing self-determination theory autonomy confidence relatedness coaches and players you don't have to throw them in the deep end but you can still push them but yeah for me i think the biggest thing with a coach or a player getting buy-in a good non-leading question is better than dumping the uh the literature on them right away because we all fall back on confirmation bias and with coaches that come in that have a preconceived notion, whether it's through more traditional or, you know, more up to date, um, the best way to battle confirmation bias is the phrase, have you considered the opposite, whatever the opposite is. So that would be my answer. 12 points for Andy. Um, that's great. Uh, I was going to ask you what some of your favorite questions are, and that's one of them. And um, I would, yeah, I think like, what would, for myself, like what, what evidence would you need and what, what would convince you that what you're doing is, is wrong? Um, that's a hard one to dive into. And to, to, <laughs> uh, but I think that's one we should all be considering with what we do. Uh, okay. As we kind of start to close, Harjeev, did we, did we take this where you wanted to go? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, I just wanted to start the conversation. I think, uh, you know, Casey wrote up a good point about uh, just kind of meeting everyone where they're at. I think that's so big. And like, even, you know, even in the NBA, like, not all sunshine and rainbow when you're trying to implement some more learning stuff. It's hard. It's extremely difficult. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we're fighting a good fight. And at the end of the day, we're all kind of in it for getting our player better. Um, and I think like that's, that's, you know, that, that's the most important thing, but look, I just want to start the conversation. I think the idea of archetyping is interesting. Um, and, you know, I think that it has a uh, pretty uh, interesting future if we keep kind of going down this path. Um, but uh, I can't sit here and say I, I know any answers. I think like just to think about it as uh, as your listeners kind of go back um, and start coaching. You know, their athletes, whether it's in a team setting, a groups, uh, a group, small group setting, or even at the individual level. So, cool. Well, I hope as people uh, finish this episode, they continue the conversation. And if they really want to continue, they can bug Casey because he'll go back with them. Uh, Andy and Harjeev are busy. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Until August, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's all, that's, I hope what, that's what this does is it promotes conversation and, and more of these discussions among coaches. And um, Thanks for stimulating one today.